What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling these stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communication profession. Hope you all have had a great week. I know that a lot of people, much like our guest today, uh, their seasons have come to an end. And I am proud to announce that the University of Southern Indiana is your Division II softball champions. It's a, I think it's the first time uh, a team from Indiana has ever won the national championship for softball at any level, D1, D2, D3, NAI. Uh, so that's pretty cool. You actually go down the history books in that capacity too. But I'm just happy for the program ever. You know, just making that feat, they also tied the record for a team to win the national champion with the most losses, which is 23, and uh, still beat the number one, number two, number four, and number six team in the country, I think, uh, to get there. So, congrats to them, very proud of them, can't wait till next year when I actually get to work with them a little bit more, but... Anyway, um, we're coming up on Cosida here pretty soon. We have a Cosida preview episode coming out here in just a couple of weeks uh, with Lori Bullock. We'll also talk a lot of things that's going around with with the association. Um, so be sure to go on the lookout for that. Next week we have Frank Mercagliano or Mercagliano. Not sure yet. Can't wait to talk to him though from New Mexico. Um, and then the week after, I have to check my calendar. I'm not home right now, but uh can't wait for every single one of you to be able to talk to every single one of you and you can also count on a uh, cosida recap episode with me and sterling i'm hoping to grab a couple other people's thoughts uh, just as the convention goes on here in dc so anyway let's get to today's guest uh we got matt turk from cal state northridge matt was matt and i were paired last summer uh, as part of the cosida mentor men Torship program that they have, um, and he'll joke that they kind of randomly threw a dart uh, at a dartboard and matched the two of us. So I've been talking to him all year long just about different things that have been going on, and uh, he mentioned that the show is a great time filler, um, this show that is, and he's been a big fan of it, so I decided to have him on. And we'll talk a lot about uh, what he did going through uh, from North Dakota State, uh, all the way to where he is now at Cal State Northridge. Also go through some uh, pro tips that job seekers can, can use. And then we will also talk about a haunted ship uh, and a uh, pro draft, how to cover those. He, he covered quite a few of those, both on the NBA, MLB, MLS level. So uh, before we get in, jump right into it, you can go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get, leave us a rating and a review. You can also email us anytime, sportsinfocast at gmail.com, and follow us on social media at sportsinfocast on Twitter and Facebook. So, today, episode number 78 of SIDcast with Matt Turk of Cal State Northridge Matadors. And we start off with something different, and why he chose to do to participate in that is the Ecosida Mentorship Program right here on SIDcast. I wanted to be able, I've been fortunate in my, my career where uh, my mom used to say you had rabbis, and I'm very fortunate with the rabbis I had in this business, um, and Jeff Schwartz and, and George Ellis of North Dakota State and some of the other folks I've been able to work with along the way, and I, and I feel like I wanted to put something back in 
uh, since I was able to take stuff out and be able to um, just help other folks in this business. And that's kind of what led me to, to applying for the program and, you know, how we, you know, I think they threw the dartboard up in, at uh, the home office at Cosida and that's how we ended up uh, <laughs> matching up. So uh, we, we just take it from there. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, and I, and I always feel like I, I should be doing more for you um, since I'm the vet and you're the, the younger guy in the business, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I think it's worked out so far so well. So, yeah, we kind we kind of both busy guys, you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, yeah you got to, yeah. like you said, a three hour round trip every day to get home. So <laughs> I completely understand. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yes. if you want to just take some time out to kind of relax a little bit, but, uh, yeah, glad you, glad you're here. Glad you're finally on, but, uh, let's go back to the very beginning for you. Uh, Simpson college, what drew you there? Um, and how'd you get involved with sports information? I, I didn't, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I went to St. John's University in New York. I graduated in 1994. Along the way, I wanted to, growing up, I wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, my dad worked at WNBC in New York, and I got to meet Marv Albert for the first time when I was seven years old. So that's what I wanted to be. And then I got to college. I got involved with the school radio station. I uh, got on the school newspaper. And along the way, when you're student media, you get involved with working with the sports information department. And at the time, St. John's had a gentleman named Frank Racanello, who was the, the head SID and his two assistants. Um, you know, we worked with them. And then as we went along, you know, I just saw what they were doing. Um, I was like, maybe this is something I could do because I knew some of the, especially the folks that worked with the Olympic sports, had a chance to, to do play-by-play and write and, and all of the above. So fast forward a little bit, I got involved with an amateur baseball team in New York called the Bayside Yankees and did that for a couple of years. And it was a volunteer position. But it gave me, it got me a clip, and I wanted to get into sports information. I got to graduation, um, worked for a year um, in New York after graduation with one of the Division II schools on um, the women's basketball, and and did you know the, the we had a weekly newspaper in the, that area, and I wanted to get into sports information. So took that clip from the Bayside Yankees, started sending it out everywhere and everywhere, and that's how I ended up at North Dakota State in Fargo. Um, so I always like to joke that my autobiography was going to be called from Flushing to Fargo because I'm from Flushing, New York, and I ended up in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, and in the two years I was there as a graduate assistant, as we talked about off air, um, it's one of my bigger regrets. I didn't actually get the degree, but I had the core. I'm all about dissertation. Um, met my two rabbis and, and Jeff and George and um, started applying for jobs, applying for jobs. And um, through Drake University at the time, um, applied there. They didn't have a spot for me, but Mike Mahon, who was the SID, was friends with George Ellis. Uh, Simpson was looking for an SID. He passed my resume along down to the folks at Simpson, which is about 20 minutes away from Drake, uh, Des Moines, Indianola. And that's how I ended up there in 1997 as a 24-year-old uh, kid who was having 22-year-old seniors as his lead assistant. So that was very, very weird that first uh, first about two years of the gig where I was the boss of people that I could literally be in college with. So um, that's how I ended up at Simpson. And it was Division three school, uh, one-man shop, 18 sports. Uh, if you counted the JVs, you threw in another seven of those you had to keep an eye on. Um, and, and that's where we ended up. So um, that's, you know, I was there at Simpson for 11 years. Uh, I was going on 12, and then in February of 2009, uh, my position was eliminated due to a budget cut. Um, and received a settlement package as part of that. I got to go to Cosida and I was figuring I was just going to, I had four months left on my contract. I started applying everywhere and uh, I was going to go to Cosida and if that was going to be my fallback and go through the job seekers program. And 
Uh, I got very lucky in that uh, my resume, I applied for a job at Marshall University in West Virginia. Uh, prior to leaving, prior to the issue situation that occurred at Simpson, I forgot, literally forgot about they applied in January of 09. And then Randy Burnside, who I like to say saved my career, uh, hired me. And uh, this was, uh, that, that was, you know, I ended up there in the fall of 09. And along the way, met my wife, now wife. We got engaged on February 16th of 09. And February 27th, I got laid off. So that was a great engagement present. <laughs> so, um, and I was very fortunate that uh, she was willing to move wherever we ended up. And we ended up in Marshall. Uh, which is Division One? If you've seen the movie, we are Marshall. Obviously, mm-hmm. for the folks that are not familiar with Marshall, um, that's the movie. Um, it was a great experience, and we got married in the summer of ten, and uh, was planning on uh, being at Marshall for a while. And then my wife, being from Long Beach, California, we wanted to end up in California as a long-term plan as as a family. And the position opened at CSU Bakersfield, which was in the fall of ten. So we were there. Uh, ended up in, uh, got hired in November of 10, and by February of 11, I was the only person left in the shop. So, got fortunately my D3 experience pulled us through, and then was a great experience at Bakersfield. It was like an expansion team at the time. They had just moved to D1, and then out of that, uh, was there for seven years, and then out of that, um, along the way, my wife got a really good position in Southern California. And Northridge uh, opened up last last summer, and here we are today. And I'm speaking to you from the office here in Northridge today. So that's a really long-winded way of saying how I got to Simpson. But uh, I figured that, that that's the Reader's Digest version of it. Yeah, perfect. So you kind of gave us, like you just mentioned, a little bit of a summary of how you got to where. Um, I want to go back a little bit further than that. Sure. From New York sure. to North Dakota, was there any culture shock? It was a huge culture shock. Um, in New York, I'm from Flushing, which is in the borough of Queens. Uh, 8 million people. Uh, Fargo at the time had about a half million people in the area. Uh, about three quarters of the population is of North Dakota at the time was in the Fargo-Moorhead area, Moorhead, Minnesota being across the river. And uh, the story I like to tell is on my first day, I was walking to work at the time. I lived within walking distance of the office. And a woman said hello to me, or said hello. And I thought, well, she knew somebody behind me. And that's okay. She's saying hello to her friend behind me. No, she was saying hello to me. So okay, everybody's really nice here. They talk to you here. And, um, it was, it was a huge culture shock, but it was, it was at that point I had never left home. So I was 21 years old. Um, I wanted to get out figuring I go to grad school and then eventually make my way back to the East coast and be back, you know, in the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. And, um, that didn't quite end up that way. So I'm in a tri-state area now, but it's California, Arizona and uh, Uh Oregon. So, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, like you kind of said, you were 24, and you were with right. with a bunch of with a bunch of your athletes that were 21, 22 years old. So, for you, how did you walk that line of, you know, one trying to be sort of the person that they look to, look up to, in a sense, the one that has to do the job versus being, you know, I'm I'm still kind of your age sort of things. How did you walk that? It, it was very difficult um, at the time. I got hired on September 2nd, 1997, which the season started September 3rd, 1997. So fortunately, the person who I replaced had really experienced student assistants that were seniors, so they carried the office for about the first six months. Um, everybody kind of knew being, I think that's where being from the East Coast kind of helped because I was coming in from the outside. So, you know, in Indianola, Iowa, which is at the time had a town of 12,000 people, it's a really small college town, they... Um, 
they didn't get a lot of outsiders from outside the Midwest. So you, here's this guy coming in. So that kind of put up a barrier there. Um, and it just was a matter of putting some of the things and the tools that I was taught in North Dakota State into place. It's, you know, Jeff Swartz always said, I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. Well, I take that concept and I'm going to give it to my kids. And this is what we want us to do here. And, and you got to remember, too, in 1997, the Internet was just coming. It was probably in year three people. I remember Concordia of Moorhead had like the first big website I could remember that people were like there was actual information on <laughs> other than, you know, like rosters and whatever. Uh-huh. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, we did our stats by hand. So we had a lot of camaraderie. We had to do everything as a team. And, you know, so that we knew to be successful, you know, we had to do it together. And that's, you know, but I was, you know, I was a guy and, you know, a guy coming in from the outside. Um, I grew my mustache out, which I don't know, I thought may help. But now that <laughs> now I look back on it, it was stupid. But, um, you know, those were the kind of little things. And, you know, I just, you know, put my head down and, you know, because I got hired so late, I just made it work, and and, and and I think I came up for air about three years later. So <laughs> I don't know, but uh, that's I mean it was just it was it was we, we set the boundaries. I think remember setting the boundaries pretty clearly, and and that's kind of how we did it, and and we went from there. So uh, what, uh, I'm very happy. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, what were some things that you kind of noticed when you were from a D1 level versus a D3 level, being with everybody, and how does that being at a D3 level help you now at the D1 level? It's a huge. I'm really glad I started at the D3 level because you have to become good at everything, or maybe not necessarily good as a relative term, but you have to be able to do everything. Although you have to be able to sell advertising, you have to be able to run the website, you have to be able to write a press release, you have to be able. Back then, you actually called the scores in <laughs> to the TV stations. Um, you have to learn how to email. Um, and if I wasn't a D3 guy first, I wouldn't be able. Wouldn't have been able to handle the workloads that I've had, you know, at, at, uh, at Marshall, it was awesome. I, w- I only had two sports. I had men's golf and men's basketball and that was it. Um, so I, there it was like being a starting pitcher compared to a relief pitcher. You know, I got my work in and, you know, it was relatively, you know, relatively simple office hours and there, but at Bakersfield, you know, we were a three man shop. And if I wasn't, if it wasn't my sport, I was running the table crew. Um, I was doing all of these things. And if I wasn't a D3 guy first, I don't necessarily think I could have been able to handle that kind of workload. Um, I was telling my wife last night, I was looking back on my notes. In my last year in Bakersfield, we had 121 home events. And I wrote three, almost, those 366 game stories and preview stories, those 366 stories. You know, if I didn't have that D3 experience first where I was doing 18 sports by myself, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have been able to handle the workload because it's such a small shop and, and Bakersfield is right now currently in the Western athletic conference, which is a plain league. So you didn't get to travel with the team because of the budgetary constraints, you know, so you had to work from home and you had to work from the office. And if you had, um, at Bakersfield in the WAC basketball's on the mirror schedule. So if the guys are home, I'm working the table crew at the guys game and the women's game is playing at that same opponent. So, you know, I have to figure, I had to learn how, you know, if I didn't have a D3 background, I wouldn't be able to, okay, I can write my game story at halftime or the TV timeouts and we can get, you know, speed things along. And then here in Northridge, it's been awesome. And the fact that we have a bigger shop, I'm able to travel with women's basketball, which is, um, and I can travel with softball and I can travel with the team sports, with men's soccer. Um, but I still, you know, during this last spring, you know, I was on the road with softball. We still had tennis and track going on. I had to figure out a way to get those covered. If I don't have that D3 background, 
you know, I, you know, there'd be, I probably work in a midnight sometimes, which, you know, it's not an effective use of time. Uh, so that's clearly a benefit working with all those sports because mm-hmm. it does help out a lot with with the workload coming down the line. So, what if somebody is at a place where they have multiple people in their office? How can they kind of get that experience so that when you know it hits the fan, they're they're prepared? If you have an interest in a sport, that that's a good that's a long way to start. So, if you're at a, at a BCS type shop where you have several full time members and you're a student assistant and you're not required to go, let's say, to the men's basketball game, find out if you can still go to the men's basketball game and at least observe. Um, if you're at a football school, a BCS football school or even a 1AA um, or Division II uh, or even a Division Three with football in the area, find out if you can go and observe and volunteer if you're going to someone else's shop and hang out. Um, you know, I know, like, for example, we have USC, UCLA in terms of football. I'm, I'm married into a USC family, so I get to go to at least one USC football game a year. But if I was working in that shop as a student and I had an opportunity to at least observe the big, you know, football game day, I would go and take it. But I would also, what other, you know, what other things can you, you know, you have to take the approach. What can I, what can I do to help? What can I do to be proactive? That was another thing Jeff Schwartz always taught me is you need to be proactive as opposed to being reactive. Um, and if you can do that, then I think that'll help you. That'll benefit you because if you do end up in a situation where you're by yourself and you have a lot of sports, then you can handle the load um, and you can go from there. Let's talk about something that you did at Marshall. Um, one of your basketball players, Hassan Whiteside, if that sounds familiar to you, yes, oh, it's that whole Hassan Whiteside. So we've never really yes. talked about this on the show, uh, covering draft. I mean, we've done it a handful of times, but – Never in the sense of a men's basketball like you have. I mean, we've talked about NFL mm-hmm. before, but right. um, how did you kind of cover that? How did you kind of publicize that? Maybe did you help, you know, get his story out there in any sort of way? I mean, can you spare no detail as far as that? No, my pleasure. Um, so Whiteside came in. He he was a guy on the edge of being able to qualify, which is what scared a lot of the bigger schools off, and that's how he ended up in Marshall to begin with. They really they found him. He was really raw. And as the season went on, here was this kid that was, you know, he had a triple-double real early, um, led the nation in block shots. He was the nat- he was our conference defensive player of the year. Um, Marshall has a great basketball tradition, but not a very, you know, they made the tournament finally in 30 years this year. But with Hassan, in Whiteside's case, we, you know, he became this, everybody, where did this guy come from? He came out of nowhere. And we were getting, each day, we would get more and more media requests with the kid. And... And in Hassan's case, we took him and we said, okay, we're going to have you come in my office at 1 o'clock and we're going to do these phone interviews. And I, I would like to think that helped prepare him. One of his knocks, and I think if, you, if you're familiar with his story, is, is he had issues with his maturity. Um, our radio guy, Steve Cotton, had the best line about him. When we got him, he was 12 and we got him up to 16. Had we had him another year, we could have got him from 16 to 21, even though the kid was 19 or 20 or whatever he was. So we get to the end of the year. It's pretty much acknowledge it. Um, he's going to leave. So he kind of leaves school. Kind of, you know, we we, we kind of, you know, I, my boss, you know, Randy and I were like, okay, he's going to leave. Steve, I share an office with Steve. He's going to leave. Okay, what do we do? We get to draft night, and, and I covered it from my house. And we had the story ready to go. We thought he was going in the first round. And he goes in the second round. And at that point, we just write the story. And... You know, we get it out there, and, it, and quite frankly, it makes Marshall look very good. 
you know, because there's this, this, this basketball power starting to come back again. I remember texting him that night. I said, hey, man, congratulations. If you need anything, let me know. And that was the last time I ever made contact with the kid, and that was eight years ago. So, But the biggest thing about, again, because I had a, a background similar, and we can maybe touch on it later with Nick Ackerman at Simpson, I was able, I had a game plan in place. So when we had the media request for him, we set aside a time each day. And with Coach Jones, uh, Donnie Jones was the head coach. He's now the lead assistant at Wichita State. Okay, every day at 1 o'clock, let's try to get him in my office, and we'll do the phone interviews. They'll call us. And we'll try to get and if and if and try to put the heat on me. And that if I turn something down, it's not on the kid because he didn't. You know, it, at first he loved it because he was talking to everybody. Um, I remember Slam Magazine one day. He was like, "I'm getting to talk to Slam Magazine." It's like, "This is this is cool." I'm like, "Oh yeah, it is cool." You know. But towards the end, it started. I could see it started wearing on him. And we tried to, you know, towards the end there, I tried to put the heat on me so he didn't have to say no to a lot of media requests. And you know, that's kind of how we took took advantage of it. And you know, not took took advantage of in terms of publicity, but right. it, it did wear on him a little bit. And you know, again with his maturity issues, you know, it took him that long to get into the NBA. You know, he had to go to Egypt and in the Middle East to play. And you know, I'm very proud to say I worked with the kid. I just hope he does well going forward. So, yeah. So, was know. there any difference working with somebody who was going into the NBA draft as far as the MLB draft that you kind of helped facilitate it, at Bakersfield? Um, it, it's the the only difference is. Um, the only difference is at Bakersfield, we had maybe one or two of the 14 kids that we had drafted I work with. We knew they were going in the draft. They were going to go in the first 20 rounds. Um, in 2011, Mike McCarthy threw a two-hitter against UCLA, beat Jared Cole in the Friday night start. And we kind of knew that's going to get him That's going to get him drafted. So we knew he was going in the top 20. Um, you know, last year we had uh, Ryan, you know, Ryan Grojohn. He went in the tenth round, which was the highest position player we ever got at Bakersfield at the time. I don't know what they, you know, the draft coming up this year. That was kind of a surprise, but you know, we kind of the, the difference. Let me rephrase it: the difference between basketball and baseball draft is with the baseball draft, you really have to watch the, the draft ticker and see where your guys go. And at that point, you you promote. Hey, Grochon goes in the tenth round. Um, also, baseball draft is a little more fickle. We had a kid uh, named David Metzger who. Um, thought he was the MVP of the Converse tournament one year. He was a first-team all-converse. He's going to get drafted. He's going to get drafted. Well, he doesn't, and then he signs a free agent deal. And then it's like, okay, he gets that free agent deal. we got to get that out there and let people know he's signing with the Yankees. He's going to get a shot. And this year, you know, he's made, he's up to high A, which which I'm really happy about because he's, he's a shorter guy. He looks like uh, David Eckstein, really, when he's out on the field. So, you know, you want that type of kid to do well because he's going to be the underdog. And at, and at Bakersfield, we had a lot of the underdogs there. And, um, you know, we every year the draft would come and we were like, we think we're going to get somebody. You, you, you prepare as if you're going to get somebody, but you, you, you can't really say, well, you know Whiteside's going to get drafted. You don't know if Dustin Fraley is going to get drafted, who was a kid we had go in, in, in the 15 or 16 draft. So that's kind of the hard part there. And then this year I have softball here at Northridge. Um, we have a kid named Savannah Horgoth who – we thought might have had an outside shot at the, the pro league, the NPS, uh, I believe it's the NPSF. Uh, and she didn't get drafted, but there's a new league starting up in Mobile, Alabama, and she's going to get a chance to play and it's a professional contract. So, you know, we found out about that and we will promote that, that fact. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of, I, I hope people understand or understand what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. When you have a baseball draft, softball draft, you just have to be, you have to be reactive. You can't be proactive unless you're at a, you know, 
a power five school or, you know, here in the big West conference, we have, you know, Long Beach and Cal State Fullerton in some years, even Cal State, you know, CSUN, um, you know, we have guys that'll go, but most cases you just have to be reactive and just try to try to promote what you get. So speaking of promotion, uh, you got a couple PR campaigns I want to talk about, man. And I want to sure. kind of get people some, some understanding of how to kind of run those national scale type of things for national player of the year. You mentioned Ackerman a little bit there. Uh, wrestling, is that correct? Um, yes. So what did you do? I know you got him on NBC's Today Show. So right. what was your kind of plan, your strategy? I mean, what were some things you could offer to other people who are hoping to do the same thing you did? Okay. In Nick's case, Nick won a national title at 100 and at 174 pounds. Without the, he lost his legs when he was back to bacterial meningitis when he was a baby. And throughout his high school career in Iowa, where wrestling is huge, everybody knew who he was. And then as a freshman and sophomore, he was basically a JV wrestler. He was a backup. His junior year, he got into the starting lineup. And then his senior year, he, he did the work. And because he didn't have legs, his upper body strength is key. And if he caught you, he was going to pin you, basically. And we got to Jan- I remember very clearly, we got to January of his senior year, and we're like, he's going to do something here. So I took advantage of the fact that Iowa being a big wrestling state, one. Two, we had a really good relationship at the time with the NBC affiliate in in Des Moines, WHO Television. The sports director is named Keith Murphy. Keith is still there. So Keith Murphy is still there. And knowing he's the sports director of the NBC affiliate, at the time my goal was to get get Nick on The Tonight Show because I knew Jay Leno was a high school wrestler. And we were able to get Keith to – they came out a couple different times during his senior year do features on him and got that got into the pipeline fast forward to nationals he wins the national championship beats a guy who dog from augsburg college um who had won 60 in a row and we got the the ap story ran ran in all the major newspapers in, in the in iowa and then a couple of weeks later keith and you know working with keith that got us in contact with a producer from the today show they came out and we were fortunate that they came out and the story ended up running uh, the weekend of our graduation that year. Excuse me. And then go fast forward 10 years to 2011 after I had left. Um, they did a 10-year Where Are They Now on, on him. And that's where, you know, they did another story. Nick is a really successful uh, – he, he was going to be a park ranger but then got into the world of, of prosthetics. So he's really successful in the prosthetics field. And now he's able to show off um, in those two stories – helping kids who are in the same situation was when he was a kid where he lost his legs and able to build legs for him and become active. And he became a, a, uh, uh, you know, a national champion in the sport. And that's how we were able to get him on the today show. And that basic, that basic formula of being able to be your own media in this case, um, writing that feature story, putting it on our website, getting it out to your email distribution list, and then having that good relationship with the local news sports director, um, that was able where it's paid off. And, you know, that's kind of that's kind of that, that same basic format is where I've been able to use that several different times throughout my career. And and, and here at Northridge, I'm hopefully going to be able to use that again next year with our women's basketball player named Shannon Fluker. So uh, you that's, mentioned that's where we go. Yeah, you mentioned be your own media. Uh, I know that there are some places South Carolina says we're not really going to tailor to the media. We're just you're just going to come to us for sorts of things. So how is it one? How has that changed from since when you first started sports information to now? It is. It depends on the market I've been in. I've been fortunate in my career at Marshall and at, at, at CSU Bakersfield. They have their own media. 
Um, Bakersfield's 100 miles from here. I 100 miles from here in Los Angeles. They have their own TVs. They have their own radios. They have their own everything. Marshall has now they're down to two newspapers, but they have their own newspapers, their own everything. Um, so there you have a more traditional format. You get the stuff out to the TVs and they come to your games and blah, blah, blah. At, in Iowa, when I was at Simpson, my goal every year was to be the number five college in the state behind the four D1s. Um, so I was my own media. I was on my, I, I got, I used to joke, um, you, you don't know what a fax machine, well, you use a fax machine as much as I did, but I used to tell the sports people I was going to run you out of paper every Monday with my releases. And that's how I did that there. And that's how I was able to start. Here at Northridge, the, the difficulty we have here is we're in the large, the second largest media market in the, in the country. Um, we're a non-football school or one triple A without football. So it's much more difficult to get things in the, in, into the into what you would consider traditional media, traditional TV. Um, we do have a relationship with the LA Daily News um, as a sponsor, so we've been able we can work on that a little bit. And we were able uh, we got to the conference tournament, we were able to get a, a feature in the big you know into the LA Daily News. We've gotten several game stories into the LA Daily News. Here though, because we have our own sports network, we're able to shoot our own games. We're able to shoot our own video. Um, we have. Um, CSUN has a really good J school, really good C school. So we have, uh, you know, my, my supervisor, Matt Monroe, has, has a great resource in getting folks out for the CSUN Sports Network. So we have that component. Um, you know, we have, you know, I think I do well on the traditional side, getting writing the story, getting the story out. And then one thing I'd like to, I always try to emphasize with the folks that I work with, the one thing you can always control with media is how you treat them. So when they do cover your game and you treat them well, they'll remember that, or at least I hope that. And, you know, so when we're on ESPN this year in the NCAA tournament, you know, the producer and the on-air talent, you know, treating them, I treated them, I think treated them very well. So that if we get in that situation next year, hopefully as a 14 or a 13 seed and not a 16, <laughs> um, you know, they'll remember that. And, 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 you know, they'll remember, you know, those guys are pretty reliable at CSUN and, we, you know, we like working with them, you know, and we have a TV deal here in the conference and it's the same principle, um, you know, try to work with our on-air talent that covers our games with uh, the ESPN3 package and the Fox Sports package and treat them really well. I can control that, and we just go from there. Awesome. I uh, hate to jump around on you a little bit, sure. but y- oh. you went from Bakersfield to, to Cal State Northridge. I usually ask people these questions. Yeah. So what, how was the job process like for you? Where were you at with life at that time? Um, can you spare no detail? Uh, okay, I won't spare any detail. <laughs> so the, the situation occurred, my wife... Um, found a job at her current employer she's a claims adjuster she she's an all-american in softball she's really smart uh i think she's the most beautiful woman in the world um but she she was able to advance her career by getting going from her job in bakersfield down here to down here to woodland hills in zurich and um and woodland hills is in the valley it's actually only eight miles from here so that was february of 16 so that was okay you go get that job you you, you know you moved for me you go down there and get that gig and do well in it. And then I will knock on wood. I will find a, go- a job closer and we can live, you know, we, you know, the original plan was to live in Los, An- in Los Angeles proper, but we found a place in Long Beach where she's from and, and it's now my second hometown. So for the next 17 months, I went looking for a, go- a job closer to, to here. The folks at Bakersfield who I told about it, we didn't tell anybody about it at CSUB for a good five or six months. And I finally told everybody, look, this is the situation. Um, Sarah's down south. She's living with her folks. She's driving back and forth to, from Long Beach to Woodland Hills. I really like living with my wife. I really like spending time with my <laughs> wife. I'm going to try to find a job to be with my wife. Um, so there were a couple other jobs that I interviewed for. 
um, and then the position here at Northridge opened. And one of the cool things about this job here at Northridge was because we, even though we weren't in the same league, we would play Northridge quite a bit in baseball. We would play them, and we were in the same conference for beach volleyball. Um, I knew everybody, in, you know, I knew everybody in the shop really, except for who would become my supervisor, and um, went through the process. And in, uh, we were going on a trip in July of last year to Belize. They, I interviewed here. I was a finalist here. I told them I needed to know before I left the country. <laughs> and we, we, they let me know that they would like to offer me the position. I said I would like to take it. And that's, that's how that ended up in July of last year. And then we started here at Northridge in August of uh, last year. So that's how we've been here. So we're coming up on a year here. And for me personally, one of the things, um, too, that especially if you're younger in the business, you also have to consider um, as a CSU employee, my retirement and my health benefits and all of that stuff stays the same. Um, I actually, coming here to Northridge, it's a big deal. I start at seven years in the system. So I accrue at seven years as opposed to having to restart at one. So in terms of retirement, that's a big thing because the CSU retirement package, I'm already vested in at five years, um, being in, in Bakersfield for that long. It's a big deal because, you know, one day you won't be doing this job. You need to think about your future. Um, you need to think about that. And the health benefits being a CSU employee are awesome. Um, we've been, you know, we both have been sick and the, the bills have been minimal because we were state employees. So that's something you also you got to consider when you are moving a job, especially I know you guys talked about couple weeks back on the podcast moving laterally or moving up or whatever mm -hmm. one of the things you also have to consider sometimes you may think of it in the back of your head it's a lateral move but if you stay within the same system in terms of it being a state employee um that's that's a big deal and you know that was a big deal coming here because yeah you know i wanted to be with my wife and i wanted to be in southern california but i also didn't want to throw away seven years of retirement and seven years of that kind of stuff as well. And then knock on wood, everything has worked out, you know, perfectly here uh, in Northridge. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride so far. I can't, can't complain. Well, I can complain about the traffic, but that's LA. So you can't do anything about that. <laughs> yeah. it kind of comes with the package deal, doesn't it? Well, there's exactly. some nice little uh, career advice there. So I'd like yeah. to transition as part of the interview where I like to ask some fun questions. Um, sure. first one uh, for you, Matt, mm -hmm. uh, favorite memory in your professional tenure. Uh, I have three. Uh, the okay. Nick Ackerman stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, the second being uh, the CSUB baseball team making to regionals in 2015. Uh, we had to come through the losers bracket at the conference tournament. Had to go to extra innings to get there. We did there. We get to regionals. Um, this was a startup program at Bakersfield that started in 09. Um, I got there in 11, so it really was an expansion team. And then we made it to the 15 regionals at UCLA. Uh, got spoked by UCLA in the first game. Um <laughs> But then we got into the loser's bracket with Ole Miss. Um, Hayden Carter, who's actually one of our graduate assistants here at, CS at CSUN, was our pitcher. was WAC pitcher of the year that year. Threw a nine-inning, we won 2-1, and then we ended up losing in the second loser's bracket game. But that, that whole weekend was awesome because we were this little team that could, and we did. Um, and then my, my third favorite memory so far, um, it's kind of a tie between we made the NCAA tournament here in basketball. It's my first one uh, this year. Uh, won four games in five days. Um, as we talked about off air, I lost my mom that week. Um, so that whole week was really emotional from both a personal and professional standpoint. And then the, the 3B would be in 1999 winning the national championship at Simpson in softball. We had the national player of the year in Kelly Shade. Um, I had to go to the, through the loser's bracket to do that. And, um, you know, that was, and I was the color man on the broadcast that day. 
Um, so I still remember that day very, very vividly. And those are, those are kind of the, the, the four favorite memories when I think of, uh, of this career of mine so far. So knock on wood, there's many, many more in the bucket. <laughs> yeah. So have you encountered any horror stories so far? Uh, the biggest horror story that I, outside of getting laid off <laughs> from a personal point of view. Uh-huh. Um, no, we, at, at Simpson in 2002, I believe it was, we lost the captain of our football team in an automobile accident. Um, and it showed how, how we didn't have a crisis management plan in place because I was, I found out about it through the newspaper, the Des Moines Register. Um, and from that point on, we, we lost Brad Quill. This gentleman's name is Brad Quill. He's our center. Great kid. Um, and we, we learned we needed to have a crisis management plan in place because we can't have the, I mean, God forbid this ever happens again, we got to have something in place. And fortunately, that, that I think was the only good that came out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have, I mean, that's the true horror, horror story. I mean, you, you know, you have the computer breaking down and the printer jamming and all these other, at the end of the day, it's really not, you, 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 that's really the only horror, horror story that I can, I can, uh, I can, I can give people that I, that I remember or comes to mind. All right. Awesome. Well, we we know that it's very sad that it happens. Unfortunately, it yep. does happen. So right. having something like that in place is definitely um, a yeah. must. Although you don't yes. want it to happen, you still yeah. have to have it. So exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, you've already mentioned a lot of things uh, uh, about advice for young professionals. But mm-hmm. do you have anything else to add as far as that? Um. See, I was thinking about that because, again, I listen to the podcast every week. I have plenty of time to do it in the car. <laughs> um, the one thing, yeah, the, I like to say that the business is going towards the front of the baseball card, meaning video and what people can see. One thing I, I like to tell people who are trying to get into this is learn how to write first because if you can't have that as a – if you use that as your base for everything, everything else will come. Um, whether it's learning how if – you, if, you're, if you're a good – I mean, I don't think I'm a great writer, but I think I'm – I'm able to write well enough to get, you know, like a mash unit. I can get stuff in and out quickly. If I have the opportunity to write a feature, I, I know I can write a feature. Um, I can write headlines. I can write copy for catalogs or uh, we have an annual report, you know. But if you, you have to, I think you have to have that as your base first before you go anywhere. Um, and then you can learn how to shoot video and how to edit and, and all that other, you know, all the, all the front of the baseball card. But I think if you don't know how to use the bait, if you know how to make the back of the baseball card, um, I don't think you'll be successful. And, you know, that and 35 cents will get you a phone call if there's still a pay phone around. So. <laughs> um, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? I want to be able to use the Adobe Creative Suite much more effectively than I can. Um, I can use Photoshop, and I think I'm okay. Um, I want to be able to shoot my own video and edit my own video. Um, but, again, the last two shops I've worked in, I've been fortunate, even though they've been small, we have folks that specialize in that. You know, Matt Monroe is my, my, my supervisor. He's also the EP of our network, and he's got the students. You know, so here, I, if I have to shoot something, I know I can get that. We can take that and get that edited by somebody else, you know. But I want to be able, down the road, be able to do that myself. I want to be able to design, you know, I, we have a director of creative services here that's awesome. But I want to be able, in a pinch, if I have to design something or get something out as a graphic that if he's not around, I want to be able to do that better than what I can now. And that's just been an ongoing thing for the last several years that I've had in the back of my head. And I think now that I have more time in the summer, I'll be able to at least try and attempt to, to play with some stuff that way. So, Awesome. Um, kind of a loaded question, but what makes a good SID? Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah, why don't you ask me about world peace next time? Um, no, uh, seriously. 
I think if you are reli- I think if you're reliable, I think if you treat people well and treat people with respect, I think those things always will take care of themselves. If um, if you can do all those things, um, you know that then people will always want to work with you. And you know, and, and I, I'd like to think I, I do all of those things well. And, and when people work with us here, whether wherever I've been, um, they want to keep working with us. So awesome, cool. Well, uh, yeah. work life balance. What do you do to have fun? Uh, now that I live with my wife again after 17 months and we'll go back together for a year. Now where we live, we live in downtown Long Beach and because of that, we live literally in the middle of everything. So the, the Queen Mary, um, if you don't know what the Queen Mary is, kids, just Google it. Um, the Queen Mary is 1.21 miles from my house, which I know because we walk it. Um, <laughs> we have, we have lots of restaurants. We have, um, we have a thing called the Pike, which is right out our back door. It's got movie theater. It's got shops. It's got restaurants. We do that. Um, we can walk up and down Pine Avenue, which is a couple blocks away. It's got more restaurants you could think of. Um, the thing, the you know, the longest walk we've taken is round trip. We've done six miles, and that was to a restaurant and come back on the beach. So we, that's the kind of stuff we do. I'm really tied with my in-laws, so we do a lot of stuff with them. And then I have, you know, my my, my two cats and my my wife, and we just, you know, because we both have long commutes and we both have long days, we just like sitting on the couch sometimes and just chilling with the animals and, and go from there. That's that's the work life balance is. You know, um, I had a head coach named Brian Nemeth at Simpson always used to say, you were really good until you met your wife, <laughs> until you met Sarah. And now you're okay. But I think I'm a better, I think I'm a better SID now. And I also want to, I always give her credit too, because she was an athlete. Um, that's how I met her. She was a student athlete at Simpson. And no, we didn't start dating until after she graduated, folks. Just so I always like to throw that in there. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, you know, um, we were for really good friends first. And as a student, we had, that's the benefit of you have that really good relationship. And sometimes when they come back for grad school, you can end up dating them and marrying them. But, um, but seriously, um, because she was a student athlete and her family is comes, she comes from a long line of athletes. Her dad was in, is in the athletic hall of fame at his school. Um, because of that, they understand in season, I'm not going to be around. And that's a big thing too. Um, especially if you're younger in the business and you have a, a young, you know, um, you're not married yet and you have a girlfriend, they understand what you're doing. It makes things a lot easier. Cause if my wife wasn't, if my wife was a civilian, I don't think I would have been married as long as I've been married. Yeah. So, uh, I'm very fortunate that way. Like we, how you use the term civilian. I'm also very familiar yeah. with the, uh, the queen Mary. Um, okay, good. one of the most haunted places. <laughs> yes. It is. They, uh, just the they just reopened one of the rooms that's haunted. So, uh, uh, yeah. you have 650 bucks. You can stay there for the night. That uh, was a big deal a couple of weeks ago. That's so. never going to happen. Yes. Unfortunately, I think it will. I say that in my head. Unfortunately, I think it will happen at some point. But I will say, I'm sorry to interrupt. I will say that's where we spent our honeymoon was on the Queen Mary and Catalina. So, um, <laughs> it, it, so our, our maybe our, maybe that's why we've been married. We've had such good luck so far. We were haunted first. Next time somebody's in the Long Beach area, you got everything. So, what's yes. a restaurant or bar recommendation? What do you got? We actually for had we actually had this discussion because I knew I was coming on the show with with the wife. And um, there's three places I would take that I would take you. Um, there's if you want pizza, there's a place called Maury's Pizza. It's actually over by Long Beach State, um, and we eat there. It, it's Italian, it's really good pizza, really good sandwiches. We like that. Um, the other two are kind of sports barish. Well, they are both sports bars, but one is uh, called the Belmont Brewery Company, and it's right on the water. Um, it's about a two-mile walk from our house. We usually will, and now we drive there. But um, well, take I could take you there, and you could be on the water and, and, and have that ambiance. And then 
my fallback position is a place called EJ Malloy's and EJ's is, is there's three of them now in Long Beach. The one we go to is on Atlantic Boulevard. Um, we go there for breakfast on Sundays with the in-laws. Uh, we go there on Tuesday nights sometimes for, for dinner. Um, it's a sports bar. Um, you can name the food. It's on the menu. So you can't, you cannot get a, you can't in Long Beach, you have to work very hard not to get a good meal, but those would be the three places I would, I would put on, the, put on the depth chart. So. Awesome, cool. Well, if yes. anybody wanted to follow up with you or have any questions for you, what's the best way to do it? Matt, I'm on Twitter at Matt Turk SID, and then my email is matt.turk at csun.edu. So those are the two things. Um, most of my social media posts are usually of uh, why I hate the WWE booking or uh, where we are hanging out on the beach with the wife. But uh, you know, those are those are the places you can find me online, especially on social media. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming on. And most importantly, thank you for being my mentor. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure all along, Dave. I appreciate being on the show. All right. Thank you. Well, guys, there you have it. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to yet another episode. Uh, If you can, go over and head to iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get these podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way in uh, exposing this show to to the masses, to maybe some young professionals, maybe sport management, you know, journalism students that aren't quite sure what to do. They just know they want to work in sport. Maybe they'll be able to run across this podcast. So, but anyway, you can uh, email us anytime, sportsinfocast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at sportsinfocast on Twitter and Facebook. And then as all, you can even follow me on my personal account if you wanted to, at David Gibson underscore XC. I used to run cross country, that's why that's like that. So, um, anyway, next week, episode 79, as we're we're inching ever so closely to episode number 100, uh, Frank McCagliano from New Mexico. Can't wait to talk to him. And that'll be next week. So I want to thank you all for listening. Hope to catch you all in the next episode.